Up next is a daily devotional by Pastor Tim Dotson, pastor of JF Believers Church in Menominee, Wisconsin. Subscribe to our podcast by visiting burningdogradio.com and clicking on subscribe. Thanks for listening to Burning Dog Radio. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report concerning Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptizer. He's risen from the dead, and that's why these powers work in him. Now here, we have some classic guilt-motivated paranoia. The Gospel of John tells us that Herod actually longed to hear John and heard him gladly. So we might tend to believe that Herod, the ruler of this part of the occupied territory of Israel, that maybe he understood his sinful nature and thus was interested in this whole Jesus gospel thing. Well, certainly Herod had a lot to feel guilty about. His family line was as wicked as it comes. Here is a guy, I guess, who could actually claim some childhood trauma. Yet beyond the wickedness of his folks and their folks before them, this Herod did a superb job of getting into trouble all on his own. Now, Herod the Great, this Herod's father, was a man who stood less than five feet tall. So he named himself Herod the Great. That was some hubris for sure. This was the Herod who was responsible for killing all the infant male children in the region of Bethlehem while attempting to find and stop the newborn Jesus, King of the Jews. Now, the Herod in our story today is Herod Antipas. He was a son of dad's fourth wife, the fourth of nine or ten wives altogether. Dad had a habit of killing anyone who caused him the slightest worry, and everyone caused him worry. He killed his wives, he killed his sons, he killed anyone who bothered him in any way. It was said that it was safer to be Herod the Great's pig than to be his son. Everyone in this family married up with their aunts and their brothers and their cousins and then had affairs with all of their other aunts and brothers and cousins. It was an insane family to be sure, and Herod Antipas was carrying on the family tradition. Verse 3 of our text says, For Herod had arrested John found him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John said to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Now Herod apparently had stolen away his half-brother's wife Herodias, who by the way was also his niece. He then divorced his current wife, and I guess that's lucky for her because at least she lived, and then he married Herodias. Again, Herod lives up to the family name and John the Baptist was quick to condemn him for it. Verse 5 says, When he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him, John that is, as a prophet. So John was promptly arrested for his public rebuke of Herod, but Herod therein was reluctant to kill him outright because the people saw John for what he was, and that was a prophet. Of course, as recorded, 
Somewhere along the way, this Herod became interested in John in some manner, perhaps because of the gospel message he carried, and perhaps because he was just brazen enough to stand up to Herod and rebuke him. Someone once said that, quote, the ungodly like religion in the same way they like lions, either dead or behind bars. They fear religion when it breaks loose and begins to challenge their consciences, end quote. Verse 6 says, But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced among them and pleased Herod. Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she should ask. Now Herodias was apparently not impressed with her new husband, and when Herod's birthday rolled around, she, again carrying on the family penchant for lascivious lifestyle, arranged for her daughter her daughter by a previous marriage, that is, to dance erotically before uh, the girl's stepfather, being Herod. Now this, of course, was deserving of a great reward. So in classic lustful man style, Herod promises her whatever she wants. Verse 8 says she, being prompted by her mother, said, give me here on the platter the head of John the baptizer. The king was grieved, but for the sake of his oaths and those who sat at the table with him, he commanded it to be given. Surprise! The girl asked for John the Baptist's head, delivered on a dinner plate. Well, now Herod was trapped. He didn't want to do it. But like always, it inevitably happens in such situations when our flesh does the talking for us. Herod found himself in a situation in which there was no way out. He had promised, and his friends were there. So, verse 10, And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the young lady, and she brought it to her mother. His disciples came, took the body, and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Despite his apprehensions, Herod followed through with the deal and had John beheaded. It's a classic story with a classic ending. Now Herod was carrying some real and tangible guilt, along with some superstitious paranoia that was contrived along with it. No doubt similar situations are happening all around us every day. People who have found themselves in situations where they did something which has caused them to have deep regrets in their lives and then slowly, ever so slowly, they unravel in the days and even the years that follow. Guilt is a strange but debilitating curse. Verse 13 goes on saying, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place apart. When the multitudes heard it, and they followed him on the foot from the cities. Jesus seemed herein to be feeling the pangs of loss and sadness for his friend, who was also his cousin and his predecessor, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, quote-unquote. John was gone, and Jesus needed some time by himself. After all, he was all God, but all man too. He experienced all the reality of deity, as well as all the reality of humanity. This is what made him the perfect Messiah, you see. 
one who understands all the joy of heaven and all the misery of earth. Verse 14 goes on saying, Jesus went out and he saw a great multitude. <clears throat> he had a compassion on them and healed their sick. Notice that despite his pain, Jesus never stopped. He loved his people. Throughout scripture, we see him tired, patience strained, sad, and in pain. But he never stopped doing his father's will and he never stopped working for the kingdom. He was indeed moved with compassion. His love superseded all feelings and all emotions. His love for the Father is manifested in his love for us even yet today. John 14:12 tells us that, quote, Most certainly I tell you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And he will do greater works than these because I'm going to my Father. Jesus is calling us to do the same as he did. Note 2 Corinthians 4, 1 and 4, 15 through 18. And therefore, seeing we have this ministry, even as we obtained mercy, we don't faint. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace being multiplied through the many may cause the thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we don't faint, but through our outward person is decaying, yet our inward person is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is for the moment, works for us more and more exceedingly an eternal weight of glory. While we don't look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So in light of that, what are you looking at today? Beginning in verse 15, when evening had come, the disciples came to him saying, this place is deserted. The hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go to the villages and buy themselves food. <clears throat> Man's inability to truly meet his own needs becomes a stark reality in these unfolding events. A practical example of the failure of humanism and self-sufficiency. It's often quite easy for us to consciously or unconsciously limit God in his ability, and even more so in his involvement. The apostles had a very important lesson to learn. That must be learned by all of us if we ever hope to move beyond the infant state of salvation. This lesson is that we are alone, and we are unable to deal with the issues and the struggles and the trials that life deals out to us. Our strength is inadequate. Jesus is about to give a simple but profound example, a record that we find in all four Gospels. Verse 16 says, But Jesus said to them, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, even though Jesus was busy ministering to the masses, he was always observant as to uh, the ways in which he could bless and help these 12 men whom he loved. It is apparent that he wants to do more than just teach them. The disciples had concern for the needs they witnessed before them, but real compassion was secondary or simply missing altogether. Jesus was motivated by both his love and compassion, and those things generated action. This is what distinguished him from 
all these other mere men. For he had, quote, come not to be ministered unto, but to minister, in quote, Matthew 20, verse 28. Even if they did truly desire to assist, they lacked the power and the resources to do so. They only saw themselves, you see, and their own strength, which was wholly inadequate to deal with the needs of such an overwhelming problem. Despite these obvious shortcomings, notice that Jesus still told them, you give them. And for some reason, God chooses to include us in his work also. He actually expects us to step up. That was our daily devotions by Pastor Tim Dodson. For more information about Pastor Tim and JF Believers Church, visit jfbelievers.com. Music